Right. I'm joined by Carly Matthews from the American Conservation Coalition. Thank you for joining me, Carly. Thanks, Daniel, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. And um, Happy New Year. We're recording this right now at the very beginning of 2020. So I um, hope 2020 is a, is a good year for you. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm here in Pennsylvania and we have six inches of snow on the ground. So oh, wow. we're off to a good start. Yeah, it's nice and Christmassy and... Uh, well, it was Christmassy and New Year's Eve. Now it's just cold <laughs> in January. On a slightly different subject, um, the American Conservation Coalition is a, it's a really cool uh, organization. And I think one thing that I'm, I've noticed while I was doing some reading and research about uh, the ACC is the, the term or the phrase changing the narrative comes up quite a lot. Um, and so you're, you're basically changing the narrative on environmental discussions through promoting a mix of free market, pro-business, and limited government environmentalism. Um, and you're doing it in legislatures. So this is all in the U.S., on college campuses, and then in politics, and, and you're going out into other areas. So there's a lot of different big words there, um, and, and I would say big topics, too, that we can... Uh, we can unpack. So I think it'd be helpful to just get some context in terms of what exactly does that sentence mean? Sure, absolutely. So especially with young conservatives, we're changing the narrative that, you know, they don't care about the environment because Mm -hmm. a lot of young conservatives are sportsmen and women. They're avid hikers. They love the outdoors and they want to protect the natural beauty that we have all around us, especially yeah. in the United States, we see the national parks and how distinctive and beautiful each one of them is. Um, so kind of where we differ from maybe where the left approaches environmentalism is we don't believe the government is kind of the end all be all of solutions to climate change and other environmental challenges. Um, and especially we don't believe that there's one magic pill that's going to like solve every single effect that we're seeing from climate change. So it requires like a more nuanced approach and we promote actionable solutions that will have an effect on a specific issue right now. Got it. So you you did mention um, that the liberal agenda, or I guess if we're going to point at a party, it might be the Democrats, but um, the more liberal agenda is a bit more government focused in terms of, I mean, so what, what would that look like in terms of what are some of the key differences between a conservative environmental policy and a liberal environmental policy? Well, I think the most prominent example right now will probably be the Green New Deal. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a a big top-down approach to climate change. We'd be kind of rearranging our whole economy. There'd be some huge um, changes to transportation across the country and things like that. Um, Whereas a conservative approach to addressing climate change would be more focused on promoting innovation and focused on technologies such as carbon capture, developing nuclear energy further so that it's safer and clean and it's a very clean source compared to other sources of energy. So um, instead of kind of relying on the government to swoop in and, and, you know, create a policy that's going to fix everything, we want to lean more on kind of American innovation and and we've seen in other sectors how successful that that's been. Mm, makes sense. And I'm, uh, it seems like, I mean, if you watch kind of politics on average, you end up having to balance out the liberal agenda versus the a more conservative agenda. So how, mm-hmm. how could you meet in the middle? There is this idea of 12 in 20, meaning there are 12 ideas or 12 kind of ways that we can perhaps curb or reverse climate change in 2020. So would that be a way to potentially meet in the middle or is that quite a liberal, or sorry, quite a conservative way of saying, here's our idea with, and then it's possible that the liberal agenda may come push back on that and say, actually, we have our own ideas and then you have to meet in the middle on, on that. Yeah, it's certainly a challenge that that politics has gotten in the way of actually making progress towards addressing climate change. And and that's both sides fault. Mm. Um, I I don't want to point at the left or the right exclusively on that. Um, The great thing about 12 and 20, that it is branding from Republican members of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, 
But um, those 12 pieces of legislation are often bipartisan. So um, there's legislation that promotes carbon capture development. There's legislation that promotes nuclear energy development. Um, and then there's legislation that promotes safer forest management techniques. And um, there's co-sponsors from both parties on those legislation, on that legislation. Um, and that's really, really important to, to meet in the middle. Um, yeah. That's a great point that you made. Um, and even though it's not in the news as much, because it's not maybe as flashy of a headline, there is some bipartisan cooperation happening on the environment on the yeah. Hill. It doesn't quite sell as well as pointing fingers and saying, look what they did and all of that right. in terms of news. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that you mentioned at, uh, a little bit ago, which I, I, we kind of skipped, but I think it's a really interesting point, is the idea that conservatives are actually um, pro-environment, or they shouldn't be um, anti-environment. It's mm -hmm. a big part of, of the conservative agenda is environmentalism, at least historically. And um, I remember when we were sp speaking earlier, you were saying that that's kind of what you mean by changing the narrative, especially with the younger conservatives who might be looking at um, environmental legislation or ideas, especially like the Green New Deal, where it might be a little bit too liberal for their liking. Um, but it's actually perfectly okay and in line with the conservative agenda to be environmentally friendly and to think about the environment. So what what's can you add a little bit more more to that idea and, and kind of elaborate on that yeah absolutely so i think it's important um when we're talking about climate change to young conservatives that we say okay so climate change is happening we have environmental challenges we can agree on that what we don't agree on necessarily are the solutions and that happens all the time on a variety of different issues we agree there's a problem but the solutions that we have take different paths yeah. and i think that pointing that out and and being very clear about okay we have something we agree on now we have to kind of take our two ideologies and figure out where we can meet in the middle um, on policy or um, even in a conversation if we're on campus or something like that um, that we can meet in the middle and, and see okay um, maybe I don't agree with a big top-down approach, but I agree that we need to do something now. We both mm -hmm. agree on that. So what's something that we can work on right now together that's not going to compromise either one of us, you know, too much. Obviously, yeah. in, in politics and policy, you have to make compromises. Um, so that's something that we point out quite often. And for young conservative students who we interact with on a daily basis, they grow up, you know, going hunting with their parents and, you know, being out in the outdoors, going hiking, going fishing. Um, so they have an absolute admiration and, and they enjoy going outdoors and, and being, you know, out in our environment. So yeah. if we just kind of emphasize that we want to protect this and you should too, we've had great success with that. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great point. Um, and Ultimately, we all live in the environment. We're all part of nature. So we should, regardless of political agenda, I mean, we should take care of our home, really. It's not really mm -hmm. political in that sense. So um, you, meant, you, meant, you said the word solutions multiple times, and we, we've talked, briefly touched on the 12 and 20. So I know that there's kind of three, perhaps primary points that the ACC focuses on. Um, and briefly, there are the land and, and wildlife conser conservation, uh, clean energy, and climate change, kind of, which is broad and, and ultimately falls under the scope of the previous two. But and there are there are others. But I would, based on what we talked about, those are kind of the three forward ones. So I, I'd love to dig into each one of those individually because there's quite a lot to unpack in each one, and uh, they're not necessarily like perfectly related. They're kind of next to each other, but they are different. So starting with the first one with the land and wildlife conservation, um, first of all, what exactly does the word conservation mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's in our name. So obviously yeah. it's a very important part of our, our work day. Um, but to us, conservation just means protecting natural beauty and, and making sure that we're not abusing the environment that we live in. Mm -hmm. And I think that for ACC, it's really important to make the distinction that this doesn't mean kind of roping off land and, and shoving it over there and making sure no one touches it because that's yeah. how it stays safe. Um, as I said before, we're a group of hikers and outdoorsmen and sportsmen. So um, we're really advocating for 
taking care of the land, but that doesn't mean we can't use it and we can't enjoy it. Gotcha. And so is it, it does conservation specifically pertain to uh, like parks and like, for example, Yosemite and, and um, Yellowstone, or is it also about maybe not so much national parks, but agriculture and other kind of general land, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, it, it definitely, its scope is wider than just national parks. Um, conservation certainly um, goes to ranching and, and agriculture farming um, because we want ranchers to have the autonomy to, to take care of their own land. Mm-hmm. They're on it every single day. We don't want the government telling them, you have to do this, 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 and this every single day when you know some congressman in Washington is not out on the land with this rancher. So that's that's an important part of it. National parks are an essential part of conservation. We have so many distinct and beautiful national parks. You mentioned Yellowstone. We have the Grand Canyon, um, the Cascades in Washington. Um, Alaska is almost one big national park, it seems like. Um, So those are certainly a very big um, part of conservation. Um, And also wildlife and and sportsmen are, are a huge part of this. Um, in making sure that when when they're out um, hunting and, and fishing, we're we're caring for species and we're making sure we're managing them in the right way. Very cool. Yeah, I think I think that's important to um, I think it's important to give people the freedom to actually manage the land in their own way. Um, speaking of agric- agriculture and farmers, um, yeah. So you said it's not necessarily about roping off, and I think it's there's kind of an, it's interesting because um, to a certain degree, if you want to keep the land pristine, like a national park, for example, you do have to rope it off uh, from the point of view of, I mean, obviously I've been to Yellowstone and it's amazing. Um, And actually our car was stopped in a, um, uh, in a huge herd of bison. You know, if it's, it was, there's like, there must've been, tens of thousands of them and it felt like an earthquake and they just went all all around the car and you're just sort of sitting there and you realize that if any one of these things gets angry and wants to uh flip your car over it probably really easily could um so that we're all holding our breath but i mean in order to protect that you really do need to rope it off you can't really start building anything there other than like you know some maybe public bathrooms and somewhere for um rangers to to live and and work um but is there i'm I'm curious to know in in terms of not just protecting that but actually expanding it is that something that would ever be considered so basically give the bison more land to live in there are certainly um discussions in in congress and beyond um about expanding kind of federal ownership of land um actually about this time last year um a historic lands package was was passed by the Senate and then the House and the President signed it. Um, and and this basically kind of designated more federal land and, and expanded the scope of that. So there there is absolutely moves to, to have more federally controlled land. Um, this has pros and cons from my perspective. Um, we obviously want, you're, you're right, in, in a way that, um, to an extent, we do have to rope off land. For instance, that's why we have like a national park with with boundaries, and that makes sense. Um, but federal ownership of land can get a little bit, a little bit has has a little bit of a downside, um, especially national parks because the the maintenance backlog is so high. So yeah. currently, our national parks have a twelve billion dollar maintenance backlog wow. um, that needs to be addressed, and there is legislation to address it, but it's kind of stalled in the process right now. Um, So there is the question of like, does the federal government actually care for the land the best that it could? Um, And that's something to think about too, just because it's like, just because land is federal land doesn't mean it's being taken care of perfectly. So there is kind of that, that struggle. Yeah, it must be tricky, especially like you were saying, um, you know, it's people sitting in Washington uh, and they're taking care of land that's in Alaska, uh, Washington State, California, mm-hmm. Wyoming, Montana. I mean, these areas are so vastly different. And in order to actually conserve it, you really need to have a very strong and in-depth understanding mm-hmm. of that specific region and what's required there. Right. Yeah, it must be very challenging from a federal level. 
um, to look at that. Um, moving over to clean energy, because I think this is especially interesting uh, right now, just because of the amount of um, investment going into solar and wind. And uh, we're seeing some, especially in Europe, some countries that are really moving forward quite quickly with, with that. Um, so one thing I noticed that ACC really advocates is um, the open energy markets. Um, and electricity to me is um, so confusing because, uh, you know, there are these wires that exist and electricity always goes through the wires. Um, I recently, about a year ago, uh, we changed our um, energy at home to a renewable source from our provider uh, here in London. And I didn't notice any difference, which I guess is good. I mean, I just want the electricity, the lights to work and everything to work. But ultimately, you know, it's like sometimes I need to just double check. Are we still on the green plan or have we gone back? So it's really strange because um, it's not like a product that you buy and there's no real well, real way to tell. Plus, you can sort of buy electricity from all over the place and somehow it counts and people somehow know. So can you give us a bit of context on what exactly an open energy market is um, and, and how it works and why the ACC uh, is such an advocate for it? Sure. So without getting too technical or in the economic weeds of an open energy market, um, essentially, um, this means that it's it's fueled by competition. It's deregulated so that um, consumers essentially, like you did, can choose to transfer to greener, cleaner energy. Mm -hmm. So this is really important from our perspective as a limited government organization that we're giving the we're giving consumers kind of the opportunity to live a greener lifestyle. Um, but this is not necessarily mandating consumers who maybe can't afford to to pay more for energy that's greener. Um, so this is kind of comparing an energy market like maybe Texas, who is more open um, and allows consumers to choose, their energy prices are cons are considerably lower than a state like California that has a more mandate-driven um, energy market um, with quotas for renewable energy, which sound good, um, but they've really driven energy prices up. So that's kind of our take on it. We want yeah. consumers to have the choice and we don't want to mandate everyone to pay more for, for electricity, which is absolutely a need in 2020 without electricity you're yeah, you're really struggling <laughs> so um that's kind of our perspective on that yeah and out of, out of curiosity i mean i think at least choice and cheaper stuff is always always nice we all want freedom i'm curious to know in terms of um in terms of texas versus california is there any sort of uh studies done on which state is more has more renewable energy yeah, so Texas is actually, surprisingly, I, I don't know if someone outside of the energy environment space would predict this, but Texas is absolutely um, a renewable energy hub. Um, mm -hmm. Wind energy is huge in Texas. Um, solar, The solar market is really growing. So um, while California kind of has the reputation of being a really clean state, um, Texas has had some great success with, um, with a more open energy market. Yeah, I remember seeing, it must have been also about a year, year and a half ago, some, there was a, uh, an article somewhere that a mayor in, in a relatively small town in Texas basically said, we're doing, we're going to be a 100% renewable uh, city. And um, it was super celebrated and everyone was really th thrilled about it. And he was, there was a photo of him walking through, I think it was around Christmas time. So there was all these lights in the city uh, and it was, yeah, he was just very proud that it was all, all renewable. Um, but the, the uh, open energy markets, so the, the importance, because just, just try, tie it back so I can get a bit more of understanding, the open energy markets, is that for people? Is that basically like what you said, like I can go out on the internet and basically search for renewable electricity and then there's going to be like five or six different companies? Um, it is a consumer choice, right? Okay. So um, consumers can kind of choose to change their energy plan to something greener. Um, and I'm not entirely sure um, if like a Google search would yield um, exactly what you're looking for, but certainly talking to an energy provider in an, a more open energy market, um, I believe they have kind of a greener plan and um, there are different costs associated yeah. with that. But. I, I gotcha. Okay. So I think that dovetails nicely too the next and final, or at least out of the three that we're 
talking about here is is climate change, which um, I think is climate change is a, is an interesting one um, because for whatever reason climate change requires belief as well. It's not just um, clean energy. It's like it's pretty obvious um, if it's coal or gas uh, versus solar or wind, but climate change. Uh, not everyone even believes that there's an issue. Um, so first of all, is climate change, it's listed on the on ACC's website as an important point that you, you talk about and care about. So I guess we should just make it clear that does the ACC quote unquote believe in climate change? Yes. Um, so the American <laughs> Conservation Coalition does believe in climate change um, and we believe that humans contribute. Um, and I like how you kind of segued from clean energy to climate change. John McCain um, has a great quote saying, kind of appealing to those who maybe don't believe in climate change as much and say like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? We, you know, we have a greener planet, even if yeah. you don't believe in climate change. So, but ACC does, and, um, and we're promoting, promoting conservative solutions to, to those challenges. And uh, I mean, obviously you wouldn't, think that it's, uh, I guess, at odds with a conservative agenda to quote unquote, believe in climate change and, and say that it's uh, human driven. Um, but how, how is it? I mean, I, I'm just curious to know, like, why do some conservatives say that climate change is a thing? It's human created, man-made. Uh, and then it's, I mean, typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's typically other conservatives who say it's not really a thing. The science isn't really factual it's not quite there um how, how is that such a discrepancy and how would you i mean first of all how, how is it such a discrepancy yeah it's a great question um and i think that a lot of times it's not even um at at this point it's not even that conservatives don't believe in climate change it's almost as if they're not prioritizing it as a as a very important issue it's like there, there are other issues going on and, you know, we need to focus on this instead of climate change. Um, and, and I think that especially politically, conservatives need to get on board and, and say that we care about this and, and, and we want solutions because the electorate largely believes in climate change. And um, I don't think that um, young conservative voters or young liberal voters are going to really tolerate um, outright denial or, um, kind of lack, even um, acceptance, but lack of solutions anymore. So yeah. um, I certainly hope that the, that discrepancy is lessening. And I think the ACC is doing our part in that. And so what, what are, what does the ACC, what does the ACC do exactly in terms of doing your part in lessen, lessening that difference? Yeah. So um, ACC, um, we are a, a nonprofit C4, um, but we also have a wing that is a nonprofit C3 um, that is an educational program specifically based on college campuses. Um, we're on, we have representatives on more than 190 college campuses um, and we provide educational resources to them. And we're really going, going to campus, going to students and showing them that, hey, like we see you're a young conservative, so are we, and we believe in climate change. Here's why. Um, so we're really trying to to appeal to them, college Republican chapters, um, Young Americans for Freedom chapters, um, all sorts of young conservative groups. Um, and we host events on campus and kind of show like a prominent conservative who's activating on climate change. Um, for instance, I um, attend Temple University in Philadelphia, um, and we had a an event with the former lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, who is really activating on clean energy and conservation. So, the, and he's a Republican, so um, that was really cool for college Republicans at Temple University to see. Yeah, and do you spend time? It sounds like there's probably a booth somewhere that you set up, maybe like in the main quad or something like that, and. Um, have you spent time at the actual table and talking to people? Yes, absolutely. So um, our national field director um, and our other um, representatives from our field team travel all over the country hmm. um, and table on college campuses. Um, and I've been at the table a few times. Um, and it's really interesting because a lot of young conservatives are really happy to see us. And they're like, oh my gosh, like I've been waiting for this. Like I believe in climate change too. And, and I, I need That's resources awesome. and I want to tell my friends about this. Mm -hmm. um, and also it's really great because more liberal students come up to us too. And we're able to have a really great productive conversation because a key part 
of ACC's platform is bipartisan solutions. Where our goal is not to rail against the left and say like, you know, your solutions are evil or, you know, yeah. you're not doing the right thing. We want to work together um, because that's the only way anything's going to really happen that's effective. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you say that the, if you could have one conversation at the booth, let's say, would, would, it, would you rather have it with um, a conservative who, a young conservative who comes up to you and says, oh, so good to see you. Um, uh, you know, I've been looking for resources and just like you described, or would you rather speak to someone who's liberal and have that kind of, actually we're on in many ways on the same page, but here are kind of the differences, which out of curiosity, which conversation would be more productive, so to speak? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I guess between the two of them, maybe the liberal student, because we could maybe talk about our differences a little bit more and, and come to more of um, like a bipartisan conclusion. But um, I've also had really great conversations with young conservatives who are like Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. Mm. And, you know, hearing about their experience is really cool too. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really enjoy having conversations on campus. And I think the ACC has been really productive in that way. Yeah, with um, with the the C four and um, it's called a C four because of the nonprofit status. Um, mm -hmm. the, can you remind remind me what's the the full? Uh, there's what's the full? There's the C three and C four. What's the full uh, number? Five hundred one C four and five hundred one C three. Right, which is the tax code basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So the so the the C four is the education part. So that's the C3 is the education part. So um, this, the 501 C3 essentially, um, you know, without getting into the tax code, um, yeah. allows for lobbying and advocating um, for legislation, whereas the C3 um, is all about education and, and we don't perform any political activity on that side. Got it. So um, I know that you've done some lobbying uh, in Congress. Is that under the C4? Yes. So um, I began my time um, with ACC on the government affairs team, which is under the C4, um, before I made my transition to comms. So um, uh, about, I guess, 11 months ago, um, I was on the Hill lobbying with um, some other representatives from the government affairs team. Wow. What does, what does lobbying actually look like? Yes. Um, so it, it kind of sounds glamorous and you think about like running through the halls of Congress, um, but it, it requires a lot of preparation um, and I'm quite type A. So, um, you know, I think for me, it was really important to know about the office and the staffer I was meeting with. Um, and anytime you go into a congressional office, having a local or state co connection is so important. So I'm from Pennsylvania. Um, I sit down in a Pennsylvania office and we talk about Hershey's chocolate for a couple minutes and then we get into the meat of why I'm there for that meeting. Um, and that just really helps kind of break the ice. And we really tried um, when we were preparing for our meetings, I think we did like something like 14 in two days, which is a lot. Wow. Um, we made sure that we had, you know, one pagers and we knew what we were walking into because congressional staffers are busy and you don't want to, you don't want to waste their time kind of rambling about something that, that they're not going to remember in five mm -hmm. minutes. So preparing and knowing about the office and then knowing what you're advocating for and having an ask is really important because you want the staffer to walk away with something actionable um, and not just kind of like, oh, well, that was fun. I'm going to go have lunch now and forget yeah. all about it. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of preparation, um, but it's really rewarding to see, you know, a staffer kind of understand what you're getting at and, um, and maybe even take action on it later. So this taking action is based off of the ask. Uh, so what, I mean, what would an ask look like or sound like rather? Sure. So um, sometimes it's as simple as I want you to talk to your boss about climate change. Like I, I want there to be a light bulb above his or her head and I want him or her to engage on climate change um, with, you know, this office that they have. Sometimes it's a specific piece of legislation um, that we'd love to see an office co-sponsor or if it's coming to the floor, vote for. Um, sometimes it's important if they're on a certain committee for them to advocate to their colleagues um, to become a co-sponsor or to vote in favor. Um, it could be joining a caucus that's, um, you know, about climate or environmental issues. That's really important. Um, ACC assisted in starting um, the Roosevelt Conservation Caucus, which is 
bicameral and um, so in the House and the Senate and basically engages um, congressmen and um, senators on conservation issues specifically. So that's really, really important. Um, when we were lobbying, we were asking members of Congress to join that. Um, so it can it can range from a conversation to an actual vote on legislation. Wow. And so do they have any obligation to do anything and to basically follow through on any of your asks? Um, I mean, a lot of times we're not constituents. So it is like, that's a good point that they can be like, okay, like another interest group, they, um, congressional offices meet with a lot of interest groups. Yeah. Um, so that's certainly something to think about. Um, but a lot of times, you know, having a conversation and, and really showing like, this is something we're passionate about. We might not be your constituents, but we have students who are your constituents and they want to see action. Um, we've had a lot of success just having productive conversations. And that's something we're really passionate about, you know, not staging necessarily a protest or getting in someone's face. We're, we're there to advocate for, but be respectful. And, and, and a lot of times that helps us be heard. Yeah. It's interesting because um, the way you're describing it, I mean, it sounds very logical and it sounds really, I mean, like you're, you're essentially selling a solution to the government and doing it rather than like, like you said, staging some sort of big political rally, you're just having a conversation, you're giving the, essentially the government a chance to ask questions and have a dialogue with you about it. Mm -hmm. um, it's the reason why it's interesting is because the word lobbying uh, just gets such a bad rap. Um, and there, there's mm -hmm. so many, I would say, by far negative connotations. I've never really thought of like a lobby group as mm -hmm. a good thing, because uh, oftentimes you're thinking of I mean, there's so many different ones, um, and so it's it's. It, I, I think it's really cool, and and again, this is this is you changing the narrative in terms of mm -hmm. um, actually here's a group that is lobbying and lobbying for something really great, like focusing on climate change um, and getting getting basically different members of the government to, th to, th to think about it and see it differently and have that conversation. Um, and and speaking of climate change, I'm. I think going back to where, where we were, because it's a really interesting point is we, we were first talking about clean energy and clean energy is really great until you kind of can't access it anymore. So if there's a cloudy day and there is no wind, which can happen, um, all of a sudden you don't really have access to clean energy. And so basically the key to a really strong clean energy um, strategy is actually storing that energy. And so, um, first of all, what is storing clean energy? Absolutely. So this is another um, piece of kind of what I was talking about before, that there's not one magic pill um, yeah. to fix climate change. So kind of an issue that's been identified is that, hey, we have this technology that produces cleaner energy, which is great. But it produces a surplus when it's really sunny or it's really windy, and we can't use it. So mm -hmm. Wasted clean energy is kind of pointless. It doesn't yeah. matter that it's clean if we're if we're wasting it. Um, so this is really important, um, and we're talking about kind of advancing battery storage technology. Um, and we're still in the R and D stages of this, and and developing it with private and public partnerships, um, which would be continued um, with legislation that's actually included in the twelve and twenty um, okay. slate. Um, it's called the Best Act. So. I, I believe that Senator Susan Collins from Maine has really championed it in the mm -hmm. Senate, um, which is interesting because she's a Republican, but um, it also has some wide bipartisan support. So essentially, um, if it's a really, really sunny day and a solar panel is kind of producing a surplus of energy, advanced battery storage would allow us to store that energy and use it later um, rather than just kind of letting it waste away. Um, yeah. So that's really important. So that sounds, uh, I mean, first thing I think of when I think of how do you store solar energy is Tesla building that humongous battery in like less than 30 days or whatever the challenge was that Elon Musk said, we, we got this, no problem. Um, and so um, would, I guess some of the stuff that you're advocating, advocating um, would, would that be like perhaps subsidizing some of Tesla's costs in building. I, I, and I'm, I'm just using Tesla as an example. I'm not actually mm -hmm. saying that you're working with them, but would right. it would, would that be a way to 
potentially work with um, I mean, so how, like, how do you advocate if you're trying to get the government out? Mm-hmm. How do you advocate for uh, basically battery storage and and actually making sure that people are focusing on developing it? Right. So a big part of this is private-public partnerships. So that's kind of allowing the government to like have a hand in it, but they're kind yeah. of stepping back and letting a private company really do the innovation and just kind of providing funding and and some resources. Um, The Department of Energy is just, when you walk into that building, you have to go through so many metal detectors because there's so much cutting edge technology going on in there um, that, you know, obviously is a national security um, issue. But um, so, yeah, it's, it's the government partnering with private industry. And that's, to me, at least that's what, the United States is about. It's about promoting innovation and letting American ingenuity just do its work. We've seen that in medicine. And if we want to talk about space travel, um, the United States was really on the cutting edge of that. So what ACC really wants is for climate change to be, you know, the next space travel for American innovation. We want to promote as much development and research as possible. Um, and, And the government has its place in that. It just can't do it alone. And we want to make sure that American business and the private sector has its place too. Yeah. I guess the um, one way to think about it is kind of going back to what we were saying earlier that you have these national parks all over the country and you have all these people sitting in one little city on one side of the country trying to make basically rules on how does Alaska make, keep track of its, or rather keep, keep its national park safe. How does um, like a desert in California keep its, park safe um and similar similarly here is how can the government be an expert in everything there's just so many different things and uh, it almost sounds like what you're saying is the government should kind of support it and say we recognize that this is important but we also recognize that we're not the experts and there are people who are experts and let them actually do the hard work and do the stuff that they actually know Um, speaking of of ingenuity, one of the solutions, which I I think is really interesting, um, is uh, carbon capture and storage or sequestration. Um, And it's also sometimes shorthanded as CCS I've seen. Um, First first of all, what is it and and kind of why? Right. Um, So carbon capture technology is really, really interesting. And it's it's something that ACC really champions because it's a great um, example of innovation. Um, essentially, we all know that trees like suck in carbon dioxide and release oxygen. Essentially, this is technology that does the same thing on a larger scale. Um, so we're kind of taking something that nature has provided us and kind of innovating and and making it more effective for this challenge that we're having with mm-hmm. with increased um, co2 emissions so um, it's definitely still in the r d stages so um, we're not you know capturing carbon as we speak in january of 2020 but it's definitely a very promising solution and um, the research and development um, funding is included in the 12 and 20 um, slate of bills there's two different ones um, the use it act promotes um, just kind of development more generally. um, And the leading act promotes carbon capture technology specifically in the natural gas sector. Um, Natural gas has really been effective in reducing emissions from coal, um, but it's definitely not the last solution um, because it is still a fossil fuel. It does still emit a significant amount of um, carbon emissions. So that's kind of um, the kind of from from a bird's eye view on carbon capture. Well, and then that kind of leads to the second uh, term in, in CCS, which is storage. Um, where does it go? Or what, what are some of the options? Yeah, so it actually is kind of a win-win um, when we're talking about storage because carbon is really important in soil mm-hmm. um, for, for crops to grow. And soil um, being depleted is obviously um, has been a challenge for um, the agricultural sector. Um, just because of over farming and things like that. So inserting carbon back in into the soil for, for farming is is a use um, that a, a lot of um, a lot of people in the agriculture sector are, are in favor of. Um, and we kind of see 
like a natural carbon sink or like trees being kind of nature's carbon capture. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and those technologies, well, they're not technologies, but that those ideas, um, those ideas fuel on the technology of carbon capture. So, um, again, in, in putting, putting carbon back into the soil is, is a great way to, to utilize it in a way that's beneficial for the environment again. Yeah. It makes sense. It's, um, it's a bit circular in that sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, comes, comes back in full circle. Um, on a, on a separate topic, you mentioned at the very beginning about the green new deal is one of the biggest differences between the, um, kind of liberal and conservative agenda. So I'm, I'm really curious to know where does the ACC stand with the green new deal and, um, the green new deal, it's, kind of complicated, I think, um, especially for someone who may not have taken a lot of time to look into it. Um, so could, could, could you first just kind of deconstruct it in layman's terms, just so we can kind of understand what exactly is the Green New Deal? Sure. So um, just to start out, um, ACC is not supportive of the Green New Deal. Um, and kind of the, the idea of the Green New Deal is based on um, FDR's New Deal um, mm-hmm. during the Great Depression, um, which was colossal for for the American government and system. Um, There were so many new programs added, and that's kind of what, um, kind of the nostalgia of that and how um, FDR addressed the Great Depression, which was obviously a huge crisis for for our country. That's kind of where the Green New Deal is coming from. We're talking about the crisis this time is climate change. So um, that's that's where we're coming from on that. Um, And essentially, it keeps up with the theme of the of FDR's New Deal and um, all it all it really um, focuses on is government intervention. There's not a lot of um, you know promoting innovation or nuclear energy is not mentioned at all. And nuclear energy is one of the cleanest sources of energy that we can be promoting. Um, so where the Green New Deal and we differ is that we're on the same page that climate change is happening and it requires yeah. action now. Um, but we're not on the same page that the government is going to solve it for us. Um, and, you know, changing how average Americans use transportation every single day and kind of rearranging our economy, it's just not going to garner bipartisan support. It's not going to be a solution that is very actionable. Um, and that's kind of why we've distanced ourselves from um, from that solution. And so what's the alternative? I mean, if it's not the government, and I, this has been the theme of our conversation and really one of the major themes of, of conservative ideas, mm-hmm. um, but you know, if it's not the government saying, uh, here's what we need to do in order to actually make changes and meet certain standards, whether they're emissions or whatever the case may be, I, you know, who's basically responsible to ensure that I mean, if we just start with the U.S. and then, you know, perhaps we can talk about the world at another time, but um, who's in charge of making sure that the U.S. actually does its part in reducing its emissions and carbon footprint and um, plastic and all, all of these things? Right. So to be clear, we do want the government to show some initiative. Um, mm-hmm. It's absolutely not something that I want to like throw to every business in the United States and say, handle this. The government's (laughs) not going to do anything about it. Um, So we certainly want the government to take action. But I think that we hit on this before. Um, The government doesn't have a terrific track record of, you know, handling everything exactly how it's supposed to be handled. We see that with our national parks and a $12 billion maintenance backlog. And we talked about um, how Congress doesn't doesn't know every inch of our country. And a lot of solutions, I think, to climate change need to be local. They need to be like that mayor in Texas who says, our town's going to be 100% renewable. And that's a local solution that on that scale is feasible and is actionable. Um, whereas the Green New Deal kind of gives these mandates to states and and communities. And not every state um, in the United States is, is the same. We can't kind of address... Pennsylvania and California and Washington and Alaska yeah. all in the same breath. Um, they require different solutions. Um, and that's something that ACC is really passionate about kind of going, going to the most local level um, and seeing what can be done there. From the point of view of uh, we're talking about globally uh, speaking, um, and I know we have just a few minutes left here, but um, I'm really curious to know what 
your thoughts are on the Paris Agreement, and uh, because currently the U.S. has a conservative president who took the U.S. out of the Paris Agreement. Um, so where does the ACC stand on on that issue? Absolutely. So I want to be careful. Um, I don't want to rail against the Paris Accords really too much at all because global cooperation on climate change is essential. Um, if the U.S. cut all of our emissions tomorrow, um, we'd still have India and China and other developing countries significantly emitting carbon into the yeah. atmosphere. So um, it's certainly not an issue that can be um, solved domestically in any country. Um, that said, um, we're, we um, absolutely didn't celebrate leaving the Paris Accords, but I think that because the Paris Accords is so non-binding um, and none of the countries are really meeting their goals, I think three countries are on track of meeting their 2020 goals, which is troubling. No, um, not very many. <laughs> right. Um, we're a little cautious to, to praise what the Paris Accords have done. Um, that said, global cooperation is important. And I think the Paris Accords were a good step in that direction. Um, but something that's important kind of to take in, into consideration when thinking about the Paris Accords is countries like the United States or the United Kingdom, where you're located, we can afford to make some financial sacrifices for the environment. Hmm. We can afford to transition from coal, which has been kind of cheaper and, and easier um, to create electricity from. We can afford to kind of make some sacrifices and transition a little bit to solar or to wind in places where that makes sense. And by sacrifices, um, just to be clear, you mean it's more expensive. Right, exactly. Yes. So financial sacrifices. Whereas a developing country who's trying to provide electricity to more people, because there's still so many people worldwide who don't yeah. have access to electricity, they can't make those financial sacrifices that maybe we can. Um, mm. So kind of coming from that perspective and looking at what the existing incentives are for different countries, because as we know, countries are not, you know, all the same. We're not synonymous. Yeah. Um, so looking at those incentives and seeing where we can meet countries to lower their individual admissions, that's really important. And I think that's a piece that was missing in the Paris Accords. And so what, I mean, that's quite the challenge. I mean, right. Absolutely. Um, does the, ACC have any thoughts on a on a better way or perhaps um I mean what what do we do it's <laughs> what a puzzle <laughs> absolutely so I think an important part of this is when we talk about limited government a reason why we don't necessarily want um, the government to swoop in and come up with a solution is we can't export kind of like a government policy that has worked in the United States. What we can export is innovation, like yep. advanced battery storage, eventually carbon capture technology, safer nuclear technology. That we can export to developing countries or countries in general, um, like our allies in, in the European Union. Um, and, and that can really make a difference. Whereas if we create maybe a cap and trade policy here in the United States, exporting a policy like that to another country, that's going to be more challenging to kind of get a political consensus in that country and, and make that work there. Whereas giving kind of exporting a, um, a technology that way, that's good for our economy We're we're exporting something that's valuable, but we're also kind of creating a global solution in that yeah. way too. I'm, I wonder if the, if being in the Paris agreement is actually at odds with what you just said in terms of, um, in terms of encouraging companies to, uh, you know, to innovate, but perhaps that's a question for another day. Cause one thing I, I'm just conscious of time here and I, I'd love to hear about some of the, the wins that the ACC has had over the last uh, couple of years. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So ACC is only about two and a half years old, which, which is, is yeah, impressive. Um, yeah, thank you. Considering um, how much has been accomplished. Yes. Yeah, so we've, definitely been nonstop since our founding. Our president, um, Benji Backer, and our COO, Daniel Butcher, um, are just incredible. And the rest of our team works so hard. Um, so almost a year ago, we hosted the first environmental panel at the Conservative Action Conference in mm -hmm. years. So we brought environmentalism back to kind of conservatism in the United States. 
Um, this summer, we flew 50 conservative students to Washington, D.C. to advocate um, for an all of the above energy approach on the Hill. We didn't um, promote any specific legislation because we were with our C3 wing, um, mm -hmm. but they advocated just for kind of climate action in general from Republicans. Um, and then finally, this is personally my favorite. Um, last fall, our president, Benji, um, testified in front of Congress with other young climate activists, including um, Greta Thunberg. So oh, wow. that was really exciting to bring a conservative voice to that dialogue. Wow, that's awesome. Was there any kind of feedback or uh, anything in terms of how that conversation went? Absolutely. So um, a congressman on the panel um, told our, our president that you know, he really admired his commitment to bipartisan solutions and, and that he was there representing young conservatives in the country. Um, and our, our student activists and the rest of our team were, were so excited to see him, um, you know, on C-SPAN. And it was, yeah. it was a very exciting day in September. Oh, that's awesome. And like you said, only two and a half years old and yet uh, already doing such big things, testifying in front of Congress is pretty, pretty incredible. Um, so if people are interested in learning more about the policies and perhaps they want to get uh, involved and, you know, maybe go on campus or, mm -hmm. or, or work with you on talking to, um, to different staffers at, in the government, uh, where can people find you and learn more about, learn more about the ACC and all the work you're doing? Yeah, so I think there's three um, different ways that people can get engaged right now. Mm -hmm. um, going to our general website, which is acc.eco, um, has tons of resources um, and ways to get involved. We're always looking for volunteers and campus chairs, um, so we can certainly um, connect you with the right people there. Um, but if you're more interested in kind of climate change and right of center solutions, mm -hmm. um, we have a new um, climate hub almost, um, which is rightonclimate.eco. Um, and that kind of, yeah, that kind of um, outlines our, our platform on climate change specifically. Okay. And then finally, for um, some engaging social media content, um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ACC underscore national. Awesome. Well, Carly, thank you so much for your time. It was a really great conversation. I, I learned a lot. Um, and uh, I hope 2020 continues to uh, change the narrative of, of climate change from both sides. Um, and best of luck over the next year um, and the next uh, kind of steps in the journey. It sounds like there's a, a lot to do, but um, hopefully you're getting closer every day. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, 2020 is going to be a huge year for ACC. So we're really excited. Awesome. Yeah, best of luck. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about the American Conservation Coalition, you can visit their website, which is acc.eco. So that's acc.eco. ECO. And uh, you can follow them on Instagram and Twitter. It's just ACC underscore national. And you can check out their Facebook and LinkedIn. And they have a YouTube channel as well, just American Conservation Coalition. Uh, if you like this episode, please share it with your friends. And also give us a five-star rating on whatever uh, platform you're listening to it on. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit subscribe so you can be the first to know about the next episodes that we publish and also reach out to us on instagram it's just at sustainability matters today thank you so much and looking forward to speaking with you soon